everyone, welcome to the first night of a two-week series we're doing called Pursuit of Love. My name is Mark Knutson. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the director here at Unite. And this is my beautiful bride, Holly Knutson, who is the executive assistant here at the church. And um, we're going to be, she's going to be sharing the stage with me during this series. So it's something different that we've never really done here at Unite before, where we're going to be co-teaching together and kind of sharing our different perspectives in our journey and our pursuit of love. And what we don't want this to be about is the Mark and Holly show. We, we want this to, to very much be about Jesus and, and revealing uh, how he was pursuing us in all of this journey as well. But um, again, we're not, we're not up here saying like we've got it all figured out. Uh, we definitely don't have it all figured out. But we have learned some things along the way that we think can maybe help and benefit you guys so you don't have to make the same mistakes that, that we made probably. Um, but we want to focus on, on really three aspects of our journey. The waiting stage, which would kind of be like when you're single. Uh, the dating stage, and then the anticipating stage. And the anticipating would be like anticipating marriage, like engagement. Um, but really our, our, our prayer and hope is that as we go through these different stages, that it would be relatable to each of you in some capacity, no matter where you're at tonight. Um, and also, just so tonight we're going to be just covering the waiting and dating stage, and then next week we'll finish off uh, us dating each other and the, the anticipating the engagement stage as well. Um, but the biggest thing that we really want you guys to, to pull from this whole series, again, is, is that as you see our journey of, of pursuing love, uh, that you recognize that, that long before that God has been pursuing each of us and that he is pursuing you guys even here tonight as we speak. And so, um, before we get started here, I just want to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump right in. So God, we just invite you into this time, and God, we just ask for, for your spirit and your presence to, to just speak truth. God, I pray that you'd speak through, through Holly and myself, and God, we pray that anything that is not of you would be quickly dismissed, but God, if it is from you, Lord, we just pray that it would take root and that it would grow to a place of action in our lives. And God, we just want to give you the glory, and we thank you for being able to take the broken pieces of our life and to be able to put us back together and point us back to you, Lord, and to use it for your glory. And that's what we want to do tonight, and it's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to start us off here in the waiting stage. And the verse I want to share with you guys is Psalms 135. It says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. So to give you guys a little backstory for me, I grew up in a family where I was one of six kids. Um, my twin brother and I were the youngest of the six. My parents were missionaries in Oaxaca, Mexico for seven years before we were born, and so our four other siblings were living with them in Oaxaca, Mexico in the, the deep jungles where they had mud huts and all sorts of fun stuff. And my mom was like, there's no way I'm raising six kids in the deep jungles of Mexico. And so they decided real quickly that they were going to move back to the States. And so they ended up moving to San Diego, California, which is where my brother and I were born and where we grew up. And I lived there my entire life until 10 years ago, moved out here to Michigan. But faith and family and church was also important and vital in our lives growing up. And, and part of that 
made this expectation and this hope that whoever I would marry would also have this similar faith. And in that too, um, we were taught, you know, different morals and, and guidelines in our life, and one of them was to save ourselves for marriage. And so I started to put that expectation on my future spouse as well. And so I kind of prided myself on being a virgin in my high school and college years, and it's never good to have pride anyways, but this was at the time when I kind of saw myself higher than I probably should have. Um, but I, I, I had this idea that I expected this from my future wife as well. I had this little box of expectation of what I, I wanted um, in my life. And the ironic and hypocritical thing of it was that even though I was a virgin, I had struggled with pornography during this time. And so it is very possible to, to be a virgin but not to be pure. And that was the case for me. Um, I was, in my mind, I somehow saw it as less of a sin um, than doing the real thing, and, and in God's eyes, it's all the same thing. Um, but, so that was just, to get you started, just a little way of how I started creating this little box of expectations, what I wanted, and my future spouse as well. And then, um, another thing that started contributing to this little box of expectations for a future spouse, my twin brother and I, we were just turning 20, we went on a college uh, winter camp retreat, where there was other churches there. And while we were there, my brother met this, this woman and who later became his wife. They hit it off at this place where they both found out they were, you know, they're twins. She was a twin, he's a twin. And so they had all these amazing things in common. Sparks were flying. There was so much chemistry in that room. I witnessed the whole thing where I was like, I know that they found their person for life. And what that did to me is it started creating this expectation again that for me, it's gonna look the same way. When I meet that person, it's just gonna be like instant sparks, chemistry. I'm just gonna know instantly, like this is a person I'm gonna end up with for the rest of my life. And so when I would date someone and I didn't have those feelings, I immediately just felt like, well, this just must not be the one and I never gave the relationship a fair chance. So then four years passed and my brother ends up getting married to this woman. And the pressure was put on me because for some reason people think like, you know, when there's twins, you just compare them naturally. And so people would be like, oh, your brother's married. What about you? When are you going to get married? As if I had full control of that. Like, just like, I don't know, whenever I find someone, you know? Um, and, and so I was starting to just feel these pressures. And everyone in my family had been married by the age of 24. And here I was 24. And and just not really seeing any candidates out there. And, um, but it seemed like everyone around me was just finding someone and getting married. And I just felt as somehow that God maybe forgot about me. And I remember during this time of waiting, people would try to encourage me with this verse of Psalm 37, four. It's delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so I thought, I'm delighting myself in the Lord. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I remember I even did prayer journaling for praying for my wife at different times year after year. Um, I was leading worship for a college ministry back there in San Diego. And so I'm, I'm thinking, like, I'm delighting in you, Lord, doing all these things for you now. Give me the desire of my heart, which at the time I thought was to have a wife. And maybe that's you tonight where you're thinking, like, like God, I'm doing all these things in my life. Now, can I have what I, I really want? 
And I really felt like God was, was not meeting up on his end of the deal, of the bargain. And I didn't realize it, but slowly I was starting to, to grow resentment towards him and, and unknowingly doing this. And as if it's like I'm thinking like the arrogance of that, of thinking like that he owes me anything after all that he's done in my life. But that's where I was at at this time. And because God cares, though, at how we view him and how we, we um, think of him, he actually revealed this resentment that I was growing towards him in a dream. I just had this random dream, and, and in my dream, I was just screaming and yelling at him, asking him why he forgot about me. And when I woke up, I just had this feeling of like, whoa, like, where did that come from? I didn't even know that I had all these feelings just harbored up deep inside. And, and I was just hurt feeling like he, he didn't remember me, and I just felt so unvaluable and, and discounted. And if I'm honest with you guys, it was really difficult for me in this season of singleness. And it was hard for me to wait on the Lord. As this verse that we read earlier, Psalms 135 says, I wait for the Lord. My hope, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I was definitely not putting my hope in his word especially when it felt, again, like everyone around me was, was being blessed in this way, finding someone. I was like, God, what about me? In fact, I found myself often throwing pity parties to God. I was thinking, like, if he could only just see how lonely and miserable and sad that I am, that he would just have this compassion on me and just feel compelled to fix the situation by blessing me with that person. But unfortunately, pity parties don't work with God. My family and I started to attend church when I was around seven or eight years old. And um, tonight's whole message is about God pursuing us, pursuing me. And that is like the meat and potatoes of my testimony is just how God pursued me. And I have to be honest, I had a moment coming here tonight where I felt God pursuing me again because um, I have in my, in my little message here, at 12 years old, I accepted Jesus into my life at a Bible church camp. And that was the camp, <laughs> the springs. I walked in and I was like, well, you guys used to be called Gilman Springs? And um, they, were used to, they used to be called Gilman Springs. So when I was 12 years old, I accepted Christ at that camp. And so I felt God was pursuing me even tonight. There's no coincidences. So thank you for being here tonight, the Springs. Um, it's powerful. But anyway, um, so I accepted Christ when I was 12, and um, I had a very strong childlike faith. But then when I got into high school, my, my parents stopped going to church, and my relationship with God was pretty non-existent. Um, I thought about him all of the time, um, but I didn't really know what it meant or looked like to have a relationship with God. And I honestly remember telling myself, like, my God, God and my faith are something that I'm going to kind of put on the back burner, and maybe someday when I'm grown up and I, my life settles down, I'm going to pursue that. So while in high school, I just did my own thing, and I made the decisions that I thought were best for me and lived my own life. And most of those decisions, decisions were not great. Um, throughout high school, I 
I had one serious boyfriend, and then after that I had a few others, but none of my boyfriends believed in God or talked about Jesus. And, uh, and I noticed I would get in a pattern with guys. So it would get to a point in our relationship where um, there would be pressure, and the guy would want something from me. And in the beginning, I was just like, nope, not going to happen. And I would end up breaking up with him, or he would end up breaking up with me because that was the line I wasn't going to cross. But it kept happening. I would get in a relationship with a guy, and it would always get to this point of pressure. And to the point where I started to believe that if I don't give something away, then they're not going to be with me anymore. And I swallowed that lie to the point where eventually I would give something away. And every time I gave something away, my self-worth was going right with it. And I reached such a low my senior year of high school. I was extremely depressed. And um, my best friend and I just kind of lived life to the wild abandon because of that. I was an old senior, I was 19, my senior year of high school, and I went to Chippewa Hills High School. And as a 19-year-old in high school, I'd go to the wayside. So I spent my high school senior year going to the wayside and going to parties and just living such a wild and crazy life. And um, I just wanted to run away. I just wanted to get out of here. Let's get out of this, please. And so, in a way, that's actually what my best friend and I did. Um, we both applied to San Diego State University, and um, my senior year, or after we graduated from high school, we went to San Diego State University, and we moved from Mount Pleasant, Michigan, to San Diego, California. And while I was running away, God was chasing after me. The summer right before uh, my best friend and I moved away, we flew to San Diego for their orientation week, and we stayed in the dorms that week of orientation, and that is the week that I met a unicorn. <laughs> well, to me, it was a unicorn because I didn't know that they existed, but it was actually a Christian guy. That's what I met. <laughs> I met this Christian guy in the dorms, and his name was Jordan, and... <laughs> I made a face in case you're wondering why they're laughing. Uh, I'm not a unicorn, by the way. <laughs> um, and it was so strange to me because I didn't have any friends or any guys in my life that believed in God, let alone professed faith in God. And in one week, I met this guy, and he was he was expressing his faith in God, and he was also expressing an interest in getting to know me. And I could feel my, my heart start to open again. Could there really be a guy out there that was different than any of the others? And we hung out every single day that week of orientation. Um, and when we flew home, he even came to the airport with me and my best friend to see us off at the airport. And while we were in the airport, he gave me this burnt CD, and he was like, I just want you to listen to the CD, um, and I want you to specifically listen to song number four. And so when I got on the plane, I had my CD Walkman with me, and I popped in that burnt CD, 
And the whole CD was this male Christian artist who, was, who had written songs about his love for Jesus. And then song number four was specifically about this guy who was praying for his future wife who he had never met before. And I was like, what? Like, there's guys out there that do this? I was crying. I was just, my heart was softening. My heart was opening to the possibility of something I had never even known could exist. I could feel God pursuing me at the same time, too, and calling me back to him through this moment. And I could feel him healing my heart from all of the pain that I experienced in high school. And after that week when I returned back to Michigan, I listened to that CD every single day from the moment I got back there to the moment that I moved to San Diego. And this is where my waiting and hoping really truly began. Because I wondered, would Jordan be different? Could there really be a guy out there who would value me for me? And could I actually grow in my relationship with God while also growing in my relationship with a guy? So the dating stage. John 15, 12 reads, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So my dating experience uh, before Holly was a hot mess. It was not good at all, and unfortunately, I was the reason for that. I was not living out this verse of John 15, 12, partly because I didn't fully understand or fully accept God's love for me. But I had dated uh, several girls throughout my college years, and like I shared before, if I didn't have this amazing spark or this, this strong feeling instantly with them, I would think this obviously can't be the one. But I also didn't like the idea of being alone. So unfortunately, I would selfishly date them for like a few months, kind of one foot in, one foot out, and then I would end, eventually end the relationship uh, with hurt, broken feelings on both sides. And I know, totally selfish, jerk move. Even, and the sad thing is that I would know in this relationship that there was really no potential of a future, a long long-term future. And so I'm asking you guys, please don't make that same mistake as I did. Don't stay in a relationship when you know there's no long-term potential in that relationship just because you're afraid of being lonely. Because if you're afraid of just being lonely, find a friend or get a dog. It will save a lot of hurt out there. Uh, but I was selfish and a jerk. And I'm realizing even as I'm going to be sharing tonight, I like, this is not going to make me look good at all. Like, I'm going to repent again after sharing some of this stuff too. But then I turned 24. Um, I met this girl, and her name was Melissa. So <laughs> paybacks. No, I'm kidding. Um, met her at this college ministry where I was leading worship at this college ministry. And um, she caught my attention, and my brother and his wife also saw her and instantly tried to match us up. And so we started dating, and um, I actually started thinking, like, hey, maybe there could be potential here. Uh, you know, she was beautiful. She was a Christian. 
She got along with my brother and his wife. She was a virgin. She's going down this list of like expectations, like check, check, check. But somehow I still felt like something was missing, not necessarily from her, but just something that I was looking for in my own heart. It felt as though my heart was guarded and a little bit reserved. And, and I didn't understand why, because it's like everything is there. Like, why am I not feeling what I expected to feel? But I stayed in that relationship for about six and a half months, and I should have ended it earlier, um, but I kept listening to this lie that if it's not this girl, it's probably going to be no one for the rest of my life. Because again, she had checked off almost everything that I had in my little box of expectations, and yet still somehow it didn't feel like she was the one. And so I found myself trying to force myself to feel something more for her, even though I knew it wasn't happening naturally. And finally, I had realized that I needed to do the right thing to, to have integrity, because I was realizing that she was investing fully and saw that futures thought we were gonna get married, and I still found myself like kind of one foot in, one foot out again. But I felt like God was kind of convicting me of just, you know, you, you know just to, to protect his daughter too, you know? And so I ended up calling it off, telling her that I didn't think it was going to work out. And I'm vaguely remembering that I probably threw God under the bus saying, like, he told me to do this. Um, you know, if it was up to me, I'd totally stay in a relationship. But God told me I need to break up with you. So quick side note, don't do that. Like, don't, let's, like, let's not bring God into, you know, the blame game of, like, why we're breaking up with people, right? Because God gives us a choice. And, and we have that choice based off of what we feel to, to choose that person or not. And so we need to take ownership and responsibility and just say, you know what? Like, I just don't have the feelings that I want to have for you. Simple as that. Painful, yes. But it's not, think about what it's doing if you're saying God told me, especially if they don't know God, or even if they do, they're, they're going to be mad at him thinking like God took away this relationship. And so let's, let's not throw God under the bus. All right. <laughs> Little side message there. But this is, where, this is where I really messed up, you guys. So I broke her heart. And it was hard for me. It's not like I was like, oh, get on with it, move on. It was, it was hard um, because I thought I just sentenced myself to singleness for the rest of my life too. But this is where I really messed up. I saw her with this broken heart, and I'm thinking, like, I don't like seeing her hurt. I realize I caused that hurt. And it's something that naturally that a lot of us want to do is like, well, now I want to fix that hurt. And so then I would send her text messages saying, hey, how are you doing? Praying for you, thinking of you, all this stuff. Thinking I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm helping dampen or lessen the blow, right? No. Sending confusing messages? Yes. Very much so. And so it doesn't help matters when like three months later, I end up moving out with some buddies in a house that's just down the block from where she lives. So we're practically neighbors now. And so now we're doing neighborly things like borrowing sugar and, and bringing stuff over and, and starting to hang out a lot. And, and I could tell like she was feeling like we were headed back in this direction of being back together. And um, another quick side preaching message note here. Time equals commitment. Especially in today when we know how precious of a commodity time is, Right? If you give somebody, especially that person of the opposite sex, time, you're either, you're either saying that you have interest or there's some level of commitment there because nobody just gives their time when we don't have a lot of it, right? 
And so if that is, if you're doing that, but it, and that's not your intention to have a relationship, then just be wise about how much time you're spending with that person so that you're not sending confusing messages, right? All right, little side note there. But this is what I was doing. I was giving her a lot of time, and so sending this message, and I wasn't completely naive about that because, again, I was not a good person. Um, there was part of me that felt, because of my insecurities, I liked that feeling of somebody liking me. I liked that feeling of someone caring for me. And, and so there was part of me that wanted her to continue to like me, even though I knew there was no long-term potential. I'm telling you guys, this is not flattering on my end. I still don't know why she married me, but we'll, we'll figure that out. Um, but it was just not a good thing. Um, and then it started feeling like this conviction again, like God, and I, I truly think that he was doing this because he was defending and protecting his daughter, Melissa here, because he, he wanted a future for her where she was being loved the way that, that God loves us too, that verse that we shared in John 15, 12. And I was not doing that for her. I was, I was leading her on. I was being selfish. Um, I was, it was coming from a place of fear, of insecurities, of not wanting to be alone. And I finally felt like, okay, I need to do the right thing here. God was pressing on my heart to be integrous and to honor him and to honor her. And so I ended up feeling like I was breaking up with her again, even though we never did get back together. But I was telling her, like, it needs to stop. Like, I can't continue to give my time or, or confuse you. I'm sorry. Like, and so I ended it. And I stopped texting her and cutting off. Um, communications, which was hard because this was summertime and we had all these plans of hanging out later and, and so none of that was going to happen now. But I'll tell you what, you guys, I felt truly blessed by being obedient to God. It was like the first time in my season of singleness that I truly felt content. I was no longer having these pity parties of like, how come nobody's calling me? I'm all alone. All this. Instead, I was like, no, I'm going to make the most of this time and I'm going to invest in other people and I'm going to initiate um, hanging out with people and calling them. And, and, and so I started surfing with some of my roommates and my buddies and, and just trying to make the most of that time and, and building relationships around me. And then it was three months later, um, Thursday night, November 10th, 2003, before some of you were even born, I was leading worship at this, this college ministry and something very miraculous happened that night. That changed the course of my life forever. All right, so when I finally moved out to San Diego after a summer of listening to that CD and hoping and waiting for Jordan, um, I reconnected with him right away. And he was from San Diego, so he really helped me get my classes set up and he showed me around and we would go on dates and he would know where to take me and everything was wonderful for like a month. And after that, things started to change because we got to that point in our relationship where we were getting closer. And like all my other relationships, it got to that point where it was like, okay, what's really gonna happen now? And Jordan had shared with me his desire to keep, to honor his relationship physically. But then he was showing me differently. So he was pressuring me 
And I had said to him, like, I, I thought we talked about this. Like, you told me that you wanted to honor God in this way. And he would, he would say he did. But then he would keep pressuring me. And one night it got to the point where I was firm. And I said, I'm not going to do this with you. I, I want to honor God with this relationship. And so I don't want to do this. And that night we said goodbye. And the next day he ghosted me. He just stopped calling me. He wouldn't call me back. He wouldn't re we didn't text back then. He wouldn't call me back. He wouldn't um, acknowledge me at mutual friends events. Um, I went up to him at a gathering, and he just walked right away from me. And I was, if to say I was uh, devastated would be an understatement. Like I was so mad because I thought this one was going to be different. And I especially thought it was going to be different because he loved Jesus. And that little lie in my heart that was starting to go away, it just resurfaced. You're not worth it. And after that, I kind of lost myself again. I went right back to my old ways, and I went right back to the party scene, um, right back to numbing the pain, right back to the hole that I climbed out of, right back to every weekend going to parties and then walking home from those parties with my heels in my hands and to back to my dorm room, throwing up in the toilet. And I, if you were here that last week, I shared this story, but um, it was the last time I threw up over the toilet that I had an encounter with Jesus. In Genesis 3.9, it says that God called out to Adam when he was hiding from him in shame. And he asked, where are you? And over the toilet, I heard God calling out to me, Holly, where are you? I said, God, I'm here. I'm right here, and I don't want to do this anymore, and I'm done. But I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do this alone. There was no one else around me that was going to help me. And when you get to a point like that and you surrender, God will answer because he knows your heart is ready and he will show up. And then that next Thursday, my friends and I got all dressed up to go to a party and we hopped in an elevator, and right before the doors closed, a group of guys got in, and one of the guys was holding a Bible. And I asked him, I was like, where are you going? And he said, there's a college ministry just up the road. It's walking distance, and they have a college ministry every Thursday night. And I said, I want to go with you next week. And next week, on that next Thursday, all my friends started to get dressed up to go out to the party, and I did something different. For the first time, I went to a college ministry with my new friends from the elevator. And that decision completely changed the trajectory of my life. One decision. And as I reflect back on that time, like, I am blown away by the power of one yes. Had I not seen that guy in the elevator that night, I would have never gone to that college ministry. And the rest of the events in my life would never be like they are today. I don't even know if I'd be standing up here. I'd probably still be in San Diego, honestly. 
because I think it was the third week of attending that college ministry that I met this guy named Mark. <laughs> Mark was selling his CDs up at the front um, near the stage. And, uh, what? For real? I snuck that in the photos. He didn't know I did that. <laughs> we still have a whole box of them if you want them. <laughs> oh my goodness. Looks like Nick has one back there. He's going to auction it off later. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Mark was up front uh, selling his CDs and uh, we were making small talk and we introduced ourselves to each other and um, I bought one and he had to go, he was leading worship that Thursday. And um, so he goes up and he starts leading worship, he introduces himself and he introduces his CD and he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sing a song right now that is from the, the, my CD, it's a song that I wrote. And um, I'm sitting back with my elevator friends, and we stand, and we start singing, and I know every word to the song. I'm like, this is my song. I know this song. And he kept singing, and I kept singing. And then it hit me. The burnt CD that Jordan had given me six months before was Mark's CD. And I had this like, out-of-body moment, like, what? How can this be right now? Like, how, God, could you orchestrate something like this? He was chasing after me. The whole time that I was chasing after guys, God was chasing after me. So tonight, uh, we're going to end our portion of the story here, and we're going to pick up next week to kind of tell what happens next from that. But why do we tell you guys all this story? Again, we hope that speaking to you through our journey, that in some way God is maybe able to, to speak to you and something would resonate with you. But honestly, Holly and I, we hesitated, probably changed our plan for what we were going to do tonight, like probably five times, because we did not want this night to be about, you know, us, but instead we wanted you guys to see Jesus through us, and like Holly said, like to see how Jesus pursues us as we oftentimes pursue love. And um, even though, like how we met, it, it's so miraculous, and it is awesome, and I know sometimes there can be the temptation to want to compare, as I did with my brother, and I experienced him meeting his wife, and I started making that my expectation for what I was going to experience too. And so I just want to encourage you guys, don't ever compare your life, your story, your experience with anybody else's. Like, I truly believe that God wants each of your experience in life, whatever it is, uh, to be yours and yours only, and to be unique and special. Um, but even though each love story is different, there are some truths within our story that I think God later revealed to us um, that we hope that you can take from tonight as well and learn. So we're going to start 
I'm going to ask you, Holly, what is the first truth that you learned in your pursuit in this journey of love? Um, the first truth I'd love to share is for the ladies. Um, even if the world or someone has written a message on your heart that you're not worth it, please know from a woman who has battled that and has swallowed that lie for so many years and that I know the truth now, you are so incredibly worth it. In 1 Peter 1.18 and 19, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ. No one can determine your worth and value because Christ does. You are valuable enough that he would die for you. And not only that, I know that there are women in this room, and you have felt God pursuing you. You might want to be like, I don't think that that's God pursuing me, but you know it's God pursuing you. And if the God of this universe, our Savior, is pursuing your heart, I think that means you're pretty darn valuable. And I pray that someday when you're old like me, you can look back and even see all the different times that God has been pursuing your heart, letting you know I'm right here with you when you feel alone, when you feel unworthy and unvaluable because that's what the world is trying to tell you and that's what people make you feel, they can't determine your worth and value because Christ has already determined that by dying on the cross for you. And so while you are chasing after guys, just stop and turn around and embrace Jesus Christ who is chasing after you right now. And then spend some time just healing those wounds in your heart because however many years that you've been believing this lie about yourself, it might take that many years to undo what was written on your heart. You need healing. You need restoration that only Jesus can give. And then while you're doing that and you're growing close with Jesus and you're waiting, know that there are really great Christian guys out there. I've seen so many of them in this room. They're not unicorns. They're also not perfect, because if they were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus Christ. But there are good guys, and so don't lower your standards and give yourself away to anybody because you think that that's all you're worthy of. You are worth so much more than that. I'd say for me, a second truth I learned from our journey is that God defines you, not relationships. Uh, this was a hard truth for me to, to learn over the years because I was, I was definitely not finding my identity in Christ. I was trying to find it in other people and relationships. I felt like I wasn't significant until I found a significant other. I was treating this idea of marriage and relationships as if it was the answer to every question or problem that I had in my life, that the relationship would give me a sense of value and worth and hope. And I remember even thinking, like, when something bad happened in my life, I remember thinking, like, if, if I was married, like, this bad thing wouldn't feel so bad. But since I was single and alone, it felt like it hurt even more. And so I was elevating this idea of, of being in a relationship and marriage as if it was God. But God is the only one who gives me value, significance, unconditional love, a purpose. He helps me to get through those hard times. 
And while I was, was trying to pursue love in my life through relationships, he was pursuing me with his amazing love for me. And God wanted me to come to the conclusion that he was all that I really wanted and needed. And just think about it. If you were God, would you want to affirm the lie that your identity and your purpose and your hope, all that comes from a relationship with somebody else? It's like, of, of course not. He's not going to want to affirm that lie because he wants us to come to the conclusion that we find all of that through him. And so I think that God was allowing me to go through this season of unmet expectations and frustrations until I learned to shift my focus on him and to see myself and my situation through his eyes. And it says this about our identity in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. If that doesn't speak value and worth in you, he calls us his masterpiece. And there are so many more verses in the Bible that speak of our identity in Christ, that we are unconditionally loved, that we are accepted, that we are forgiven, that we hold tremendous value as Holly shared because he was willing to die for us. And when we can learn to believe these truths about who we are and our identity, what happens is we don't feel like we need to find that then in a, in a relationship or in a marriage. Instead, we, we find that in Christ. And then the cool thing is that a relationship and marriage, all that is just like a cherry on top. It is not the whole cake. All right, truth number three. If you are in a dating relationship, and you have professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, remember, you are representing Jesus Christ in that relationship. That other person is looking at you as an, a model of who Jesus is, and if you are not representing Jesus, you could, be a, you could be impacting their view of who Jesus is. You could be hurting their relationship. In Matthew 18, 6 through 7, Jesus spoke these words publicly out loud, and he, it shows you how strongly he feels about anybody that gets in the way of his relationship with his child. It says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. I could not imagine if Pastor Allen got up and preached. <laughs> you, you better have, it would be better for you to have millstone hung around your neck and drowned to the bottom of the ocean if you did these things. Like, that is intense. Jesus is so passionate about the fact that he is so in love with you that if some person on this earth is getting in the way of his relationship with his child and you're the cause of it, like, don't even get close to that. And if you're in a dating relationship with someone and you're saying that you're a believer and you are not treating that woman or that man like Christ would treat them, you have to answer to the Lord for that. That's huge. And it comes passionately for me because of the guys that I was with and they professed that Jesus was their Lord and Savior and then they treated me like trash. We're human and we make mistakes and we can't be like Jesus in, in everything we do. 
But the more that you strive to be like Jesus, the more you will treat that woman and that man and your relationship how Jesus would treat us. And men, if you're not sure like how to treat women because of all the mixed messages that you receive about how women want to be treated, and it's like, I don't know, do they want me to protect them? Do they not want me to protect them? I understand it's so confusing, but study the Gospels. Study how Jesus treats women. Jesus elevated women when no one else would, and he protected them, and he honored them, and he guarded their hearts, and he made them feel so valuable and known and worthy. So even if you're in a dating relationship and you know it's not going to go anywhere, you can still be like Jesus and tell them no, but with love and respect and treating them with closure and none of this mixed signal stuff. Yeah, it's true. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm right with you. signal stuff. What she said. But we see it a lot. We see it a lot where there's um, not clarity. And so honor the other person with clarity and with treating them how you would want to be treated in that relationship. Truth to number four, uh, Psalm 37, four. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This verse is absolutely true. However, how I interpreted this verse in my waiting stage and dating stage was completely inaccurate. You see, I was thinking is if I do all these things and, and go to church and praise God and, and do all these things that he would give me what I want. And where I got it wrong is I didn't see that delighting in the Lord is actually each of our truest desire, whether we realize that or not. You see, God had imprinted it on our heart, a God-shaped hole that only he can satisfy because he loves us so much and he wants to be connected to us. And so when we are actually connecting with him, when we are praying to him, when we are reading his word, when we were coming to church and being in fellowship and community, pointing to him, it's like it fills our heart. Our heart is at home. It is complete. It is whole because that's what he designed us to, to desire, to know, and to be in relationship with our creator, our maker, and our father. And so when we delight in the Lord, we are experiencing the truest desire of our heart. It's not about gaining things of this world. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And so he pursues us, even though most of the time we're pursuing everyone and everything else but him. And the last truth that I wanted to share, um, it said, I wrote down stand firm in your boundaries, but afterwards I was like, I'm going to change that. So it's great, stand firm in your boundaries if you're taking notes, but also it would be to guard your heart. In... Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, above everything else, everything you do, everything you guard, above guarding your family, above guarding your finances, above guarding your relationships, it's saying above all of those things, guard your heart even more than that. And so when I was growing up, I knew all the rules. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And I didn't necessarily truly understand the why until I got into marriage. So the rule, don't have sex before your marriage, 
I just thought it was a rule that I was trying really hard to follow, and I didn't do a good job at it. But then I realized God is not up there as this tyrannical God who's just sitting down waiting for us to just disobey him. So he creates these rules. God is such an intimate and personal God, and he is the creator of you and me. He created my heart, and he created your heart. And when I accepted Christ as my Savior as 12 years old, the Holy Spirit took up residence within my soul. And he is with me wherever I go. And so he was with me. Every decision I made that was poor. And he knows my heart because he designed my heart. And he knows that if I were to give my heart away to anybody who had not made a commitment to protect my heart, that it was going to make a scar on my heart that was going to be brought into my marriage, which is exactly what happened. Everything that has happened to me prior to my marriage with Mark has been brought into our marriage. And I was like, oh, there's the why. God wasn't out there just trying to be like, don't do this and don't do this. God was trying to protect my heart. Because he knew that even though I didn't think it was going to happen, every single time something was written on my heart, damage and scars and wounds and bruises, and then when I got married, oh, I took it all in. And he's had to sort it all out for me. And it's been a mess. So guard your heart. Set your boundaries. And if any person of the, if any person you're in a relationship with presses you on those boundaries, know your worth and value. They don't deserve you. They don't deserve you if, if they want something and you're not going to give it up. That's why the marriage is called a marriage, because... You're standing before the Lord and under contract to him, under covenant, you're saying, I'm going to protect his heart or I'm going to protect her heart. And you know that symbolism when a father hands his daughter over at the, on the wedding day? That's what God is doing in that moment. He's handing his daughter and his son over into the protection and care of this other person. And before that is done, God, is want, God does not want you to give your heart over to anybody else because it was not under contract, under covenant, under promise to him. And so make a decision in your heart, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the kind of boundaries that you want to have in your relationship with, you, with your significant other and to keep the marriage bed holy. All right, guys, the last truth of the night. Um, Keep an open heart to and mind to God. It might be okay to have an idea or a plan for your future, maybe for a future spouse, but also keep your heart open and set on the Lord, leaving room for him to direct your steps. It says in Proverbs 16:9, in their hearts human plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. For the longest time, I did not keep an open heart or mind uh, when it came to my future spouse. And I honestly almost missed out on the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I realize now that I almost settled for this little box of expectations that I had in my life instead of what God had for me. He wanted to reveal something much bigger and better than I could have ever imagined. So keep a, an open heart and mind and watch just how creative our creator really is. Will you guys pray with me?
Lord, we, uh, we thank you for tonight. God, I pray that tonight was not just about our story, Lord, but that people would, would sense and know you so real. God, that they would recognize your pursuit of them in their own personal life, God. To see how you have been chasing after them because you love them and because you have imprinted on their heart, Lord, the desire to know you and to be in relationship with you. And I just pray that for each person in here, God, that they have that relationship with you. That then they would not fall into the lies of this world that says that, that they're not valuable or worthy of love until they're, they're with somebody. God, you are that somebody. And you give us all the value and worth that we will ever need. And so, God, we just pray that, that our hearts would shift our focus if that's what needs to be done on you. Instead of mourning if we're in a stage of singleness and feeling like, woe is me, God, I pray instead we would just embrace where you have us at, that we would bloom where we are planted, that we would take the initiative to, to invest in you and to invest in others and to be a light in this world. God, if we're in a relationship, I pray that we would be honoring you in those relationships, that we'd be reflecting your love that you have for us, God, into the other person. God, we just pray your blessing over each person here. We pray your blessing over their relationships, their singleness, whatever stage they're in, God, their marriages. We just pray your blessing over them. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm -hmm.